So my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us tonight. If this is your first time, a couple things. We've got the 10-minute party that's going on in the back after service is done. We'd love for you to join us there uh, and fill out the connection card so we can find out more about your story, what uh, brings you to, to visit with us, and how we can partner with you, how we can serve you uh, as a church body. We also have the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon that we would love to share with you. Uh, so uh, meet us back there. Uh, you can fill out that connection card through our church app as well. So if you don't have the Element City Church app, download that for your smartphone, whichever store uh, you would use for your device. Uh, we're there. So you've got playlists in there. You've got sermon notes. We've got uh, a lot of people. That's how they do their giving. Uh, so lots of things that you can do through the app, see all the events and whatnot. Uh, or if you want to fill out that connection card, you can text us at our church phone number. It's 520 three, four, zero, six, eight, six, eight. So maybe if you're at home, that's a good way. If you wanted to get the connection card, fill that out. And we haven't figured out uh, how to give you a gift if you're at home and tuning in that way. But at some point we probably will figure something out. We're just not currently shipping kettle corn. Get over it. Sorry. Um, but yeah, we're just glad that you're here tonight. Let's all stand together. Uh, we're going to pray for the church of the week as we get started. Uh, that's one of the things that I love about how we do church together. Uh, we recognize that we just get to join into the song that's been sung uh, for hours already. That we're doing this at nighttime uh, in the evening, but, the, but the, the worship has been lifted up uh, to Jesus for hours today. And we just get to be a part of that. And so we want to have a heart, not just for what God's doing here in our church, but for what God's doing in the city. Uh, and that's why we pray for other churches around town. So today this uh, church is going to be 22nd Street Baptist Church. Uh, their pastor, Ashley Evans. Uh, my brother went there actually when he was in college at U of A. So I got to visit there a few times as well. And I've had some great relationships with people there. So we're going to pray for them and then we're going to pray for ourselves as we get started with worship. So join me in that. Father, we want to thank you for tonight. We want to thank you for the work that you want to do. We want to thank you uh, th that you're already present, that you already are God, uh, that you're Emmanuel, God with us. And so would you just give us uh, an overwhelming and, a, and a, a profound sense of your presence tonight, that you are here with us, that you delight uh, in receiving praises from us, that that's what you created us to do, was to enjoy you. And so we want to do that uh, to the be best of our ability. So would you come and, and, and meet us in this moment? We want to lift up uh, 22nd Street Baptist Church as well and their pastor, Ashley. Uh, we just ask that you would give him all the vision that he needs to lead the church well. We pray that you would provide for them financially. We pray that you would provide for them uh, just in their congregation, opportunities that they can reach out into their community uh, to, to go shine the light of Jesus uh, among the people that they get to serve. Uh, so would you allow them to be uh, healthy? Would you just allow them to uh, do the work that you've called them to do and to do it with courage and to see you come through for them time and time again uh, as you grow their faith and as you uh, grow them into the church that you want them to be. So uh, we're grateful that we get to partner with so many churches here in this town to make a dent in your kingdom. That's what we're here to do tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let us 
Come and join 
fully surrendered before you, giving all to you, King of Kings. We bow, we bow before you, God. We take off our crowns, Lord, and we crown you, the one who is seated on the throne. And the angels giving you praise, singing holy day and night. And yet we get to sing in only a few minutes here. So prepare our hearts, Lord, for what is going to take in eternity. Holy, holy, holy. Lord, we adore you, King of kings and Lord of lords. And tonight, God, we humbly come before you. Give it all to you. Quiet our hearts. Calm our spirit. And we're listening. We want to learn of you, God, so we may serve you better and be useful in your kingdom. So may you teach us tonight. May you change us and transform our hearts and our mind the way only you can, Lord. We give it all to you. We praise your holy name, the name of Jesus, King of glory. May you be praised tonight, God. We love you and we pray all these things in your beautiful and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. It was great to worship together, whether you're online watching or here in the room. Uh, glad to have you here. And uh, afterwards, we're actually heading to Winter Haven, so some of you are here for that, and uh, hopefully you got geared up because it's so cold outside. That's really not. I, I tried to dress in flannel so I would feel colder, but I, I, I'm not. Anyway, uh, thrilled to have you here, and we're continuing this Christmas series. Um, just a couple notes. One, thank you uh, to our young adult group that was here yesterday helping with our food distribution. Every second Saturday, we do that, and you guys as an e-group kind of owned that, and it was awesome having you here working together. And so maybe if others of you who are in e-groups, you might want to look at uh, maybe adopting one of those second Saturdays at the point, and I share that because coming up in February, February 13th, we're actually going to have our next Serve Sunday. Uh, and here's why we do it, especially if you're new, maybe tuning in new. Um, February 13th is the Super Bowl, and we just don't do church during the Super Bowl. I don't think that makes us pagans or anything. It just says we like football a little bit. So uh, you can have a, a Super Bowl party at your house. But what we do is we actually cancel church that night and we serve in the morning around our city. And so uh, this year we want to kind of decentralize that a little bit. And so maybe by your e-group or some people that you sit around, we are all creatures of habit. Uh, we typically sit in the same place. So maybe there's some people you've kind of uh, grown accustomed to being around. Maybe you've been going to dinner with us afterwards. Maybe your group wants to begin thinking about where you'd like to serve on February 13th around our city. We'll have some connections. We'll obviously have a lot more information about that, but I wanted to kind of put that in your mind as you begin to think uh, about our Serve Sunday coming up February 13th. So tonight, uh, I want to pick back up where we left off a little bit last week. So if you missed last week, I invite you to catch up on the app. You can go back and catch the service. We're in this Christmas series looking at the, the beautiful reality of the gift that's been given to us, and uh, we we are centered so much around Christmas, around gifts, and those are good things. They're a way to express love and blessing to others, um, but we want to center ourselves on the greatest gift that's ever been given, kind of the reason for the season in Jesus, this gift of Christmas. Uh, the Apostle Paul kind of says this one, one line 
in 2 Corinthians that I think summarizes and might be the best verse for a Christmas card. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This indescribable gift of Jesus and everything of who he is and what he accomplished and what he means to us as followers of Jesus. Now, you may be here and someone invited you and you're kind of checking out church and you're kind of on your own spiritual journey and and I want you to know this is a, a place to begin to investigate who Jesus is. For some of us, we become convinced that Jesus really is who he says he is and you may not be there yet and that's okay. Uh, In fact, we want this to be a place where you can kind of go on your spiritual journey and for us to maybe come alongside and just kind of let you know some of our story in that. But as we look through the scriptures, what we see is that Jesus really is who he says he is and that Christmas is really centered around him. And so much of what we looked at last week is that he came wrapped. We understand the story in Luke chapter two that Jesus was wrapped in cloths. We understand that. We understand wrapping gifts, right? We talked about that last week. That uh, some of us are uh, really good wrappers of gifts and some people like gift bags, right? Yeah, three of us. Okay, Uh, so this idea of wrapping gifts and Jesus comes wrapped and he came wrapped in prophecy is what we looked at last week, a lot of it. In fact, so much of it that it actually blows your mind to begin to think how Jesus actually fulfilled all these prophecies and the likelihood of that happening actually brings certainty to our faith. And so if, you, if you've always been on a search of trying to figure out the validity of Christianity, you, you might want to check out last week because I think it speaks to the certainty that we can have. And Jesus also comes wrapped in history. The reality is the night of his birth is a historical moment and we would be remiss if we don't actually dive into the reality of the moment that he showed up in. So much of our lives, if you think back over your own life, you are a product of your history. You are a product of the beauty of the family you grew up in. Maybe you're a product of some of the brokenness of the family that you grew up in. The reality is we're all a mix of both. Some of us might have more brokenness and less beauty, and it might be the other way around for others, but the reality is we all have a history that follows you today. You are who you are because of the history that you've had. You are who you are because of some of the choices that you've made or some of the choices that were made for you. Some of the things that you actually accomplished or did or some of the things that were done to you. And so we all come wrapped in our own history. It has a way of impacting us and influencing us. The setting of what we grew up in, the time period, the place where we were born. Some of you, how many of you lived in a small town growing up? How many of you lived in a bigger town growing up? That has a way of impacting you. The culture of where you grew up uh, had the decisions that were made around you. We are not uh, just a collection of random occurrences doesn't mark you. You might have randomness in your life. We understand random occurrences. Like, anyone ever been driving across town? And you ever had that moment where you're driving across town and the light turns red? And then you look and you realize no one is at the other side. No one. And you're like, that's so random. Like, why did it turn red? Because no one's even there. It's not like it's tripped and then it had a certain time. It's just, we understand randomness of these things. We understand random encounters with people throughout the day, random accidents and blessings that unflowed. Uh, But the delivery of Jesus was not random. 
And that's what I want us to kind of dive into a little bit tonight to investigate about that. So a couple different stories, the gospel stories. Remember, the gospels are the accounts written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and they are written to kind of record, here's the life of Jesus as eyewitnesses giving account to his life. It's kind of the biographies of Jesus in a way. And there's a couple of them that talk about this very early reality of what Jesus was born into in the history of that time. So here's Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The first census that took place with Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now, we have to understand that the scriptures are thousands of years of story, of accounts of people's lives, of the real history of what's actually happening. And sometimes in our context, we can read through scripture passages and miss some of the some of the beauty and the depth of actually what's happening in this. What we know, okay, Caesar Augustus was known as one of the most successful Roman emperors of the day. He had 45-year rule. He was the grandnephew and adopted son of Julius Caesar. So there's significance about who he is and what's transpiring in the, the whole nation, the whole empire, really, of Rome. Rome owns so much of the world at this point. They are the empire who is large and in charge. One of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled is that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but that's not where Joseph was at the time. So what's God got to do to fulfill this prophecy? Well, we got to get a census going because now, Joseph, you got to get on the move. You got to go to where I need you to be to fulfill a prophecy I gave 700 years earlier. So you see how all these things begin to tick together and begin to piece together. Matthew, if you read Matthew chapter one, this is, it's a genealogy of Jesus. Now, I know this to be true. Reading the first chapter of Matthew is a lot like reading Leviticus in the Old Testament. It seems old and it seems boring and it seems dry because it's just name after name after name after name. But if you were to actually dig into the names of the people and their history and their story, what you begin to see is the lineage of Jesus actually has not, it isn't just a lineage of beautiful things. Let's be honest about it. It's a lineage of brokenness, and yet God at work in the midst of brokenness and in the midst of broken people. And there's a lineage that actually comes through David himself, maybe, and, and God said, David, I'm gonna have someone rise, rise up from your line that will be the Messiah, the one to come. And now we are 14 centuries later. Here's Jesus arriving on the scene a descendant of Abraham, descendant all the way back to the beginning. When you're reading scripture, you have to understand these are thousands of years old. They come from a foreign culture and a foreign language, and we have to expect that if we don't understand some of the things, we can gloss over and miss some of the reality. And so for us, we look at Christmas sometimes through the lens of the 20th and 21st century and all the trappings and beautiful trimmings that we put on our Christmas tradition. And sometimes we can miss some of the tradition that was actually going on and some of the, the reality of what was transpiring behind the scenes 2,000 years ago. Maybe the best question for us to ask is, what was it like in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? What was it like at that point? 
Some of this, what I'm going to share, is coming from New Testament scholar Gary Burge and some of the insights that he gives as a student of that time. We understand the hymn. Remember the hymn, A Little Town of Bethlehem? Here's how it goes. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And we sing that song, and we go, man, there's something so beautiful. We, and we picture Bethlehem almost as this tranquil, little, sleepy mountain town where it's just bliss. And that could not be further from the truth of what Bethlehem was like 2,000 years ago. And what this moment of history was actually what was transpiring behind the scenes. See, Rome had conquered Bethlehem, that region, Judea, the whole nation, back in 63 BC. And, and Rome ruled by uh, two realities. They would break you up into provinces, and there were two types of provinces. One, there was the province that was kind of the nice province. And what nice province meant were that you were under control. You were under Roman rule. In fact, you were lived under the Pax Romana. Pax Romana is the gospel of Rome, peace of Rome. Although it's not peace like, oh, peace to the world. No, no, no. It's peace because we're going to crush you if you don't live under our rule. That's what Pax Romana actually means, peace by force. And we're going to keep you under control, and you're going to be under the thumb of Rome. Now, if you're a nice province, we won't have to mess with you a lot. You'll be wonderful to us and pay the taxes that we're embarking upon you, and you will live under the Pax Romana, under the peace of Rome, which is really an oxymoron because it's the reality of the brutal nature of Rome. And then you have these rascal provinces that were not easy to control, and they would be under direct authority and supervision, and thus there would be intense oppression from the emperor and from the empire itself, imperial provinces. Judea, Israel is one of these. So because Bethlehem and the whole region of Judea is one of these, conflicts and insurrections were constantly on the, the tip of the tongue of the people. And so if you were in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, you would walk around and see soldiers everywhere. Because Pax Romana was there to show you no, you will live under the peace of Rome. We will force it out of you. And so tensions are tight here. The Jewish people did not like this occupation. They often fought against it. You can read in historical accounts about numerous uprisings of that. So when Jesus is born into this moment, this isn't a sleepy little town. This is a reality that there is a story going on, and in a lot of ways, this is kind of like a political powder keg of what is happening. And the reason people are coming back here is because of their tribal nature. They had to come back because of the tribal nature of Israel, of the 12 tribes of Israel. You had to go back and register where you were. And this wasn't registration like you're showing up at a, at a uh, when you go to vote um, sometime and it's maybe some senior citizens are there in a little table and they're trying to get your name and your address and they're like just, oh, it's so nice that you're here to vote. No, no. You show up to register your property. Why? Because you got to pay taxes. And you got to pay an absorbent amount of taxes. Uh, 
And so when you show up to this registration, how many of you are uber excited about paying taxes? So that hasn't changed in thousands of years. So in this moment, do you think people are showing up in their hometown all giddy and excited to be there? No. There, there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of political pressure. There's a lot of tension in the air. There's tribal systems of saying this is the way it should be or this is the way it should be, and, and people didn't agree. Isn't it great that humanity has advanced so much that we don't battle this any longer? That was total sarcasm. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor, the person right around you, and just say, hey, here's my hometown. Tell me your hometown. Where are you from? Where are you from? What's your hometown? Where were you born? I was born in Sayre, Pennsylvania. If I had to go register somewhere, it wouldn't be here in Tucson. It would be back in Sayre, Pennsylvania, which is a podunk town where I was born. For some of you, you uh, actually liked the town you were born in, and so you whispered it very uh, loud and proud. And for others of you, you're like... <laughs> Um, and you just kind of moved on. If you had to show up to register, you're showing up in the great empire of Rome, and this is really about taxation. This isn't about just finding out, okay, who all is in the country? No. This is about what property do you own, how many animals do you own, and are you paying the full amount that you need to pay? Because the empire has needs, and you're going to fulfill them. Why? Because of Pax Romana. Peace by Rome. We're here to bring you peace. A piece of what? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what's happening. Historians record that even 200 years after Jesus, there's another census. And the ins and outs that went on, torture was a common thing in the proceedings of registration of people. People may try to get out of what they owned, and forced registration is happening, and everyone is a little tiffed at this moment in time. And so when Mary and Joseph come riding into town, you can imagine the town is packed with soldiers and people and they're everywhere and tensions are really, really high. Uh, how many of you like the song Silent Night? If you like that song, I, I did find a meme that I thought was kind of funny. This is how Silent Night started. How many of you are married and you've experienced your silent night in a different, okay. That probably didn't happen, it was just a funny meme. Uh, but the reality is Mary and Joseph come riding into town. There's no room because they didn't you know, Uber ahead or they didn't get an, uh, 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 an Airbnb ahead of time. And so they're there and the time comes for Jesus to be born. It's a significant opportunity for us to lean in and go, okay, Jesus is being born in this moment of history. Why? It could have been other times of history. Why this time in history? What, what is going on in here? Bethlehem is a packed city on a political powder keg, and tensions are swirling, tensions extremely elevated. There's divisiveness going around. Now, when Rome occupied a province, Often what you would look for is a local ruler, a, a, a local leader that you can manipulate a little bit in order to understand. The reason you'd want a local leader is because they would know the people. And they would know the who's who of the city, and they would know the who's who of the region around you. And so when someone would show up to register, and if they had the last name, let's say Montgomery or something, uh, and you would go, no, I know the Montgomery family. They own a lot of land. 
If you weren't a local leader, maybe you wouldn't know some of that insider information. And so when Rome began to occupy provinces, they wouldn't look for leaders. And so they found one in Herod. And in Herod, Herod knew some of the local lay of the land because he had married in to some of the local royalty of the families there in the region. He had six or seven wives. Uh, If you study anything about Herod, you understand that he is paranoid, paranoid all the time. In fact, he had several of his own children killed because he thought they were trying to overthrow him. So this is who you're dealing with in Herod, the local leader that Rome is kind of manipulating and saying, okay, you are in charge of keeping order here and we don't want uprisings because Pax Romana. And so we don't want uprisings, so you're in charge of keeping that on the swell. Every historian, biblical or non-biblical, recognizes that Herod was a completely uh, off-base character, let's just say. There was something about him that was kind of crazy. You can read all about him. He was given the title king. You don't get the title king by giving it to yourself. Rome established that and says, you are the king of this region, of this province, so to speak. And so Herod enters the story in Matthew chapter 2. And you can go back and read it on your own. We'll kind of get glimpses of it here. Herod hears about this new baby king that was born. Now, what word did the Magi use? King. Now, if you're the king of a region and you hear about another king being born, what are you instantly thinking? I have a rival. That's exactly what you would think. If you're the one who's in charge of all these things, and no wonder the the Gospel of Matthew records what transpires in Matthew chapter 2. It's a pretty amazing and eye-opening reality of what transpires. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, who's in charge of the Jews at this time? Herod, who doesn't like the Romans? The Jews, there's been uprisings all the time. And so when you're in charge and Pax Romana is your charge to give and to keep peace and you hear about another king, you've got a rival and you're moving forward in that. When King Herod heard this, verse three, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Don't miss that. Because when you have a paranoid king with all power, when he's paranoid, the whole city is paranoid. The whole city is in an uproar and tensions are high. Why? Because he's disturbed. And you don't want a person who's a little bit crazy with all the power to be disturbed. Why? It doesn't go well for you and how things unfold. This is a crazy man with all the power. He's perplexed and he's paranoid. When they had gone, the Magi had left the scene. Now, again, you have to understand this is, we put Magi in the the stable and in the site. This is two years later, okay? That's the reality of this, okay? It's nice to have them in the nativity scene, but they weren't there that first night, okay? It's okay. It doesn't ruin your faith. Um, But it's the truth of what's happening, and here's why you can begin to understand it, and you begin to see that. When they had gone, verse 13, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night. 
So this wasn't like, hey, Joseph, things have been a little ruffled. Um, we're going to have to put together a plan, and over the next month, you're going to have to move your family to Egypt. No, this is, hey, wake up. Hello, got to go. Time to go. Why? Because Herod is perplexed. He's got a rival. And what do you do to rivals? You squash them because you are Pax Romana. You're trying to maintain the peace. Why? Because you want your job. Because if you don't maintain peace, guess who's out of a job? You are. And when you have all the power and you're a little bit crazy, you go to crazy, crazy lengths, even killing off your own children to maintain your power. And so Herod, when Herod realized, uh, so Joseph and Mary and Jesus take off to Egypt. This is actually fulfilling another prophecy from Hosea 11.1. Herod realized that he's been outwitted by the Magi. He says, hey, you go and visit because there's a star hovering over the city, right? There's the star that the Magi have seen, and here's the crazy part. Well, this will make more sense in a second. Herod realized he's been outwitted by the Magi. He's furious. He gives order to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and un in accordance with the time that the Magi say that they saw the star. And so it is this reality of this incredible uh, murder of multiple children, hundreds and hundreds of children into this time. Verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Another prophecy from Jeremiah 31, 15. See, Herod's reign results in weeping. Jesus' reign results in worship. And it's this juxtaposed position of the reality of what is transpiring that we often can miss about the Christmas story because we think of it as a little nativity scene. And friends, it's so much bigger than that. The wise men came drawn by a star. You have to look from a Roman perspective. What does that mean? When they say we followed a star here, what does that trigger in a Roman mind? You ever thought about that? In a Roman mind, see, what they understood, how they looked at the cosmos, is that the, the, the cosmos was the arena of the gods. In fact, there's a comment that transpired that came soon after Julius Caesar's death in 44 BC that was acquitted, and people actually not acquitted, uh, accredited to supposedly Julius Caesar becoming a god in divine nature and ascending into the arena of the gods. You'll find coins stamped with Julius Caesar with a star on it. That's significant because from a Roman perspective and a Roman world understanding, Caesar was God, and so he was divine, and so we stamp that. He's in the arena of this, and now you're telling me there's another in this same arena is now identifying that someone from the stars has come here, and not just ascending like Julius Caesar, now it's descending, and so when Magi show up to Herod and say, the star is showing us the king of the Jews is here. No wonder you think you have a rival because there's something transpiring that speaks about a divinity that's visited you and this next chapter of history is beginning to unfold and you don't want that to happen. This would have blown Herod's mind as a Roman ruler and we miss that. 
in our simple understanding sometimes of what's going on. See, what's happening in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is way more than just a little nativity scene. There's a lot of history to this that Jesus is born into. So I share that history, I think, for the beauty and the reality for us to understand that God's timing is perfect. I think maybe that's the simple takeaway we can have from the Christmas story as we look at this, is that there's something going on here that's more than meets the eye, and God's timing is perfectly timed out. The the whole reason the gospel expanded after Jesus' resurrection, if you don't know, is because of the Roman roads. That's how people could travel so easily. They didn't exist 100 or 200 years before that. It's into that time period that Paul and all the missionary journeys that he went on and teams of people went on, they were able to do that because of the Roman roads. There's significance to that. That Jesus waited, God waited and said, now's the time. Not only is this the time of all these prophecies I've given that are now gonna be fulfilled into this moment, but now the stage is set for this gospel message to be revealed and then shared in a way that the world can begin to see this story. See, the story isn't contained in a nativity scene. The story is way too big for a nativity scene. This story is for the world and for all people groups and all nations of all time. And so we've gotta get to the place where this is easily expandable and we arrive in this moment. God's timing is perfectly timed out. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question or found yourself praying for God to speed up his timing? Anyone? God, your timing's a little off here in my scenario or in my family situation or in my setting or my circumstance that's unfolding. I need you to pick this up a little bit. Anyone ever prayed a prayer like that? I think we all have. Because there's a timing that we feel. There's a timing that God knows. And God is the creator of time, who stands outside of time, is not limited to time. You and I have limits. We have 24 hours in a day. That's it. We don't get to manufacture more time. We can try to maximize time, but we can't manufacture time. God's timing is precise and it's powerful and it's confirmed in this Christmas story. There's 400 years of silence, no words from God through the prophets to his people to end the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't launch with a new word from the Lord coming through a prophet to announce something new. It actually comes with the arrival of the word, Jesus himself. God himself, Jesus the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah, the Word shows up and enters the scene and the world around it. Remember Luke chapter two? There were shepherds living in the fields, or living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified because anytime an angel shows up, it's a pretty freaky moment. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. The most given command in scripture, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Not a certain group of people, not some people, all people. 
Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. But Jesus came wrapped in a whole lot more than just the cloths lying in a manger. He came wrapped in the prophecy that he fulfilled that no one else could have fulfilled. He comes wrapped in the history of the moment and the history that would unfold coming out of that moment. Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those who his favor rest. On the perfectly timed out night, the Savior shows up. This was not random, this was very calculated by God. God is not early, he is not delayed. If you've ever traveled on a plane, you understand being delayed. More often than not, you are delayed, not early, right? But God's timing is never delayed, it's never early, it's always right on time. His arrivals are never random, his activity is never random. The NBA lottery draft is random, they say. A lot of game shows are random. Raffle tickets are random. If you get in a line at Costco, it's random how long it takes. Amen? You can pick the shortest line, and it's a long time sometimes. It's random, but God's timing is not random. Part of the power of God is the precision of his activity. Part of the sovereignty of God is his divine punctuality. Friends, I bet you can look back over your own life and see that precise timing in the landscape of your life if you look closely enough. And you may have the angst that I have at times. Lord, would you please hurry up? Would you please speed this up? I think you're, you're dragging this on too long. I don't think I'm alone in feeling that at times. But after a few years of following Jesus, a few decades, if I'm honest, I can look back and I can see the perfect timing of God, often more in hindsight than in foresight. But we see the timing of God, the activity of God, helping us. He's the master of timing, the master of dramatic timing sometimes. But he does it for our sake and for our faith. His timing allows us to practice faith, provides us a foundation for faith. He doesn't grow impatient He has proper and eternal perspective. His judgment is never clouded. He is not anxious or nervous or hesitant. He is confidently at work behind the scenes even when we don't see him or feel him. He's at work. His timing is perfect and precise and it's powerful. You think back through the the nation of Israel and part of the stories that we see in scripture. They show up at the Red Sea, right? and the Egyptian army is charging hard after them, and they've gotta be freaking out in this moment. God, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this place just to be slaughtered? And then the sea opens, they walk through it, and the sea drowns their enemies behind them. The perfect timing of God. The Israelites are faltering between the prophets of Baal and and what they're calling the people to do and the true God. And the prophets of Baal spend all day calling out for, for their God to answer. And Elijah prays one simple prayer. And fire falls from heaven and burns everything up to confirm God's the real God. His timing is perfect. Daniel is caught faithfully praying against the the ordinance that was set out by the Medes and Persians. He's thrown into this lion's den of ravenous lions that are going to eat him before he hits the ground. And yet, 
perfectly timed that the angel closes their mouths and he lives and he's pulled out and the people who were against him are thrown in and they are eaten before they hit the ground in the same place that he just was. Esther, an orphan, is brought up as a queen at just the right moment of history to stand in the gap on behalf of her Jewish people to help avoid annihilation. Why? Because God's at work. And that's his timing. The disciples are fearing for their lives in a boat that's taking on water. And in one word, in a few seconds, Jesus calms the storm that's swirling around them. Peter immediately denies Jesus the third time and immediately hears the rooster crow and it connects the dots. Jesus, you said that was gonna happen. The perfect timing of God all throughout history. The perfect timing of God and his activity interrupts and what's transpiring begins to transform situations and transform lives. And I bet if you were honest and began looking back over the landscape of your life, you would see God's activity and his perfect interruptions at times. Perfectly timed to minister to your heart, to challenge you at times to pull you a different direction from where you were trying to go, and you didn't understand it in the moment, but later on looking back, man, God, that was your timing. And you begin to connect the dots. This leads me to the verse, I think, for us to hold on to tonight. Galatians chapter four, verses four through five. This is Paul looking back at Christmas. And he says, but when the right time, when the set time, in the NIV says, in the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us into his his own family, adopt us as his very own children through faith. Pleroma is the Greek word here for the set time, the right time. It means the fullness of time, the completeness of time, a condition of being filled to the full. When do you stop pouring, uh, pouring into a glass? when it hits the top brim, right? Filled to the brim. That's, what we talk, that's where you stop. Because that's the fullness of it. That is what these Greek writers are saying. It's what Paul is trying to illuminate to us. At just the right time, Christmas. That's what he's saying. At just the right moment of history, Jesus shows up. Maybe the takeaway for us is that we can learn to trust the timing of God. At just the right time, it's all about his timing. And he doesn't show up and and say, listen, I need you to bring your devotion to another level. See, this isn't about your devotion. What Paul's saying in Galatians, this isn't about your devotion, this is about your adoption. And adoption is this powerful imagery throughout the New Testament. That we're adopted into God's family, not because of how devoted you are, but because of faith in Jesus and who he says he is and what he accomplished for you and what he can accomplish in you. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. You can trust his timing. And for some of you, that's the reminder you need tonight. You can trust his timing. You can try to push back against it, and I get that. I really do. You can try to question it. I get that. I really do. But friend, you can trust God's timing. In the pleroma of time, he knows. He's never early. He's never late. 
He's right on time. So Father, that's what we want to anchor ourselves to. That Jesus came wrapped in history too. A significant historical moment of things swirling, attention being there. And into that tension, into that moment, into that reality, Jesus, you showed up at the perfect time, at just the set time. You came, not just to fulfill all the prophecies that were alluding and pointing to you. That was part of your timing. But you came so that the mission of what you were about, the story, the gospel, the good news could then spread from that time moving forward. It was the perfect timing of you, God. And so would you be at work reminding us in our lives, in our here and now, in our struggles today, that your timing can be trusted? God, for some of us, we're at one of those tense moments in our own life where we're needing to see your activity and we need to see it even now, God. That's what we're feeling. Would you help us to trust your timing? that you are at work behind the scenes, even when we can't see it or feel it, you are at work. And because you stand outside of time, you're capable to speak into and to show up at just the right time for what we need. So as we worship you, Emmanuel, the God who is with us in our time, in our moments, in our circumstances, in our situations, we affirm and anchor ourselves again that you are God who is with us and that your timing can be trusted. Clouds of night and 
pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for the timing of this most indescribable gift, the gift of your son. Not only is a savior who offers us salvation in his name through faith in him, but offers us the opportunity to live life alongside you from this day forward with no ending. The timing of that message for each one of us who have maybe said yes to Jesus, there was a time in our life where that message made it through and it connected the dots for us. 
for others you might be trying to break through in this time to connect the dots for them. God, would you help us to see that you are a God who is with us in each and every moment because you're a God who is forever and always alongside us and with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, so great great to have you here. Thanks for tuning in if you're watching online. Uh, so a couple quick things. I wanted to give one quick update on a member of our church, Justin, uh, who we've been in connecting with. And Justin's story, I don't have time to tell you the whole thing, but he grew up in this church, been a part of this church a little bit, and um, really found his relationship with Christ in this church. And we've been able to champion him. He actually went on a mission trip and joined this mission organization that he's been out with uh, for actually several months now uh, out on that. And you all helped with that. Because of your generosity, we were able to give him some gifts uh, here at the end of this year. I think we have some pictures of him. So he is currently in Georgia and with this team that is there. And the second, this is kind of the second leg of this mission trip and uh, leading worship and and getting just grown and experienced. He's going to be here in January. Uh, but some of you kind of know Justin a little bit. If, if you are interested in helping out a little bit more with his fundraising that he's doing, we did that on behalf of the church, on your behalf, because of your generosity. That's one of the ways we were able to, to give. But if you would like to, to help with that, you can come see me, and I'll give you the website uh, where you can find out more about Justin's story. Uh, tonight, we're walking Winter Haven. So with that, uh, we have, let's see, Jesse and... Uh, You're going to be down here handing these handy-dandy glow sticks out in just a moment. And uh, if you're going to Winter Haven with us, what we're asking is you'd stop up here and that you would see Bridget and Jesse before you go. You'd get one of these, and then you'll meet us in one hour. Like, what time does the clock say right now? 6.13. So at 7.13... Tell you what, 7.15. Um, 7.15, we're going to be at the entrance at Fort Lowell, okay? So we're encouraging all this information is in the app if you want to look at it. How many of you are going to walk Winter Haven with us? If you're here, if you're online, I can't see your hand. But um, if you want, uh, come grab one of these from Bridget and Jesse before you leave. And then next week, join us for after party. We're going to have a cookie decorating for the kids. We're going to have hot cocoa, some fire pits, do some s'mores and stuff, hang out for a few minutes afterwards. And then December 24th, Fourth Christmas Eve, either 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. right here or join us online for that. And last but not least, December 26th, just a reminder, it's going to be Sabbath Sunday, which means we're online only on December 26th, okay? If you're new, I'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party. It'll start in about 32 seconds. May the Lord bless you, and we'll see you at Winter Haven if you're walking with us or next Sunday. Take care.